The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of Provoke, and I'm joined today by two guests who are going to talk to us about an aspect of climate change, specifically how the standards around disclosure of climate lobbying are evolving. As the urgency of the climate crisis intensifies, more and more corporates are beginning to disclose more information about their climate policies and actions and the extent to which their work with third parties like trade associations aligns with those policies and with the requirements of the Paris Climate Agreement. So here with me today to explain what's going on and the implications for the communications industry are first of all, Chris Pratt, Managing Director of Hill and Knowlton's Better Impact Team in the UK, which is a specialist sustainability and social impact consultancy. Chris is hugely experienced in building multi-stakeholder forums to address sustainability issues ranging from climate change to plastic waste. And he's passionate about driving change in organizations through measuring the impact um, and transparent reporting. He's also a member of the PRCA's Climate Communications Group. And second, we have Matthew Phillips, comms director for the UN's high-level climate champions for COP27 and COP28. For the last 10 years, Matthew has led strategic communications and campaigns to advance the climate action agenda. His work to support international climate negotiations has included positions at UN Climate Change, Mission 2020, and he was an advisor in the run-up to the Paris Agreement. Um, Matthew also managed the reporting and tracking team at UN Climate Change and is a co-founder of a sustainability engagement agency, Beautiful Corporations, which he established in 2013. Chris and Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maya. Glad to be with you. Hello. Good to be here. Great to have you both. Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to start from the off by saying I'm very much the idiot in the room here and you two are the experts. So I'm going to ask the stupid questions and you're going to inform everybody with some um, some great, insightful and, uh, and useful answers, I'm sure. Um, Matthew, this is such a complex area. Could you set the scene and give us some context? What's been going on around climate lobbying disclosure standards? How's the situation evolving and why are we talking about this now? Thank you, Maya. It's really good to be here. And maybe what I'll, I'll do is I'll actually just start with the science, as, as, as we all must do. We've just had um, published the, the sixth and final um, kind of segment of the IPCC's uh, report uh, on, on how we're managing um, impacts of climate change. Um, it very much is the final warning on the on the kind of the target for 1.5 degrees and what we can see through that report is not only are the impacts of, of climate change getting all the more devastating but the window for addressing them and for acting accordingly is narrowing all the time um, and i think what we need alongside that that massive delivery and implementation gap is actually to close the advocacy gap so now more than ever we really need corporations to step up and really call for what they need from not just um, national governments, but also kind of city and regional magistrates too. Uh, we know that corporates, 93% of them also acknowledge that climate change represents the biggest risk to their, their enterprises. But equally, the same proportion of companies, if we take that as a kind of subset, only 50, 50% of those um, are lobbying for what is in alignment with the Paris Agreement to act on climate change. 
Um, so we know that basically corporate lobbying remains completely lackluster in comparison to those that are acknowledging that the scope of the, the problem. Um, I, I realize um, my, this is a very difficult um, problem and challenge. And I think that, um, you know, there's an enormous uh, opportunity this year. We're, we're currently in what's described as the stock take of, um, of climate action, which is part of the UN climate change process, where governments, but also non-state actors are required to take a kind of a look in a mirror, assess where we're at in terms of trying to get us to a kind of 1.5 degree pathway, and then start to signal the steps by which we need to kind of get there or course correct in terms of to, to meet those, those kind of big climate targets. And I think what we're hoping is that corporates, as a part of this stock-taking process, are going to step out, raise their heads above the parapet, and start calling for the types of policies and regulation that they need in order to go at the necessary kind of rate. Because um, as we as we know, we're all very much behind. So hopefully, my that that provides a little bit of a kind of scene setter in terms of the urgency to act, but also to kind of shout out for what's required. Yeah, thank you very much, Matthew. Now, I know that uh, hot off the press, um, you've just uh, published a UN report out of COP27 in, in Egypt. How has that moved the conversation forward? So, well, that's, I mean, the, the latest report is what's landed today. Um, I think that um, what we've seen is that the impacts are, are ever more glaring. As I mentioned, the 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 implementation gap is... Um, is, is becoming increasing cause um, for concern. I think what we're quite, quite keen to introduce, I, I work for a team called uh, the UN Climate Change High Level Climate Champions, as you mentioned, is to basically work out a system for corporations about what they need to do in order to be in alignment with the science, Maya, that you've just mentioned. So um, we brought into being a campaign, it's called the Race to Zero. The idea is that all corporations um, rally behind um, high quality net zero criteria to make sure that there is sort of an even level playing field amongst all of them. So we have four parts of, of that criteria to hopefully respond to, to the science in the most urgent way possible. Um, it's basically around four P's, uh, pledge, plan, proceed and pro progress. So the first thing that all corporations are required to do as part of this campaign is pledge that they will get to net zero emissions by mid-century, that's 2050, and actually to have a checkpoint on the way to get there, which is to halve emissions or a fair share of emissions by 2030. We then have the second part of the criteria, which is plan. They need to basically make sure they've got a credible transition plan in place that basically goes from the actual commitment that they've pledged into actually what they're going to do at a granny level in, in terms of getting there. The third part is proceed, which basically means they need to be showing and demonstrating that they are taking action right now so that the horizon isn't something that we're shooting for or trying to reach for, but we're actually demonstrating how corporations in this case are already moving towards reaching their targets. And the final part of the, the criteria is progress, which is basically that all corporations must transparently report back on progress so that, as I mentioned, during the stock taking year, we can basically see exactly where different actor types are on their journey towards achieving the Paris Agreement. But all that said, um, and kind of relating back to my point around um, around advocacy, this year we've started to really step into a fifth part of the criteria. We've called this persuade, and um, it was originally called policy. We were sticking to our, our P theme there. And now we, what we really want all corporations to understand, I'm, I'm keen to kind of go into more detail and 
on this at a later point in this conversation, but it's for all kind of corporations to understand how they align their policing and lobbying practices with the Paris Agreement, with what the science is telling us. Um, and perhaps I'll, I'll talk more on that in a moment, Maya. Yeah, that would be great. Obviously, persuasion is the is the business that we're we're all in. Chris, have you got anything to add on the on the context and why this is why we're talking about this now in a communications context? Thanks, Maya. Um, and and yeah, Matthew's very um, neatly laid out um, what the um, UN uh, Climate Champions Group are doing um, in this space and calling for. But I think it's also important to point out that there are a number of other groups who are pulling in a similar direction and really uh, calling for corporates to have much better um, alignment between um, their climate policies and um, what they are asking uh, representatives, agents, uh, trade associations to um, to to do on their behalf, and other groups, for example, include um, Climate Action Hundred Plus, uh, which is uh, related to the Institutional Investors Group on Climate Change. So, effectively, a group of uh, investors who are uh, and have been for several years calling on um, large emitting uh, large emitters to uh, provide greater uh, levels of disclosure and clarity about both their policies and how their policies are aligned with the Paris Climate Agreement, but also to, to talk openly about how they are advocating, how they are engaging with governments, and talk about um, their relationships with third parties like trade associations. Because for a long time, actually, I think there has been um, some um, uh, some separation perhaps between what say a trade association is is lobbying for in a forum like the um, European Union on behalf of a, a, a company um, and what that company is saying publicly itself about its support for climate change. So these initiatives are really just seeking to overcome that discord and, and to make sure that there is better alignment. And it's from from experience, it's not often the case that this is um, necessarily deliberately done. It, it's often the case that there just have not necessarily been the controls and reporting mechanisms in place. And so what groups like, like Matthews uh, and the Climate Action 100 Plus group are doing is to set frameworks that enable a consistent dis disclosure of um, the uh, the risks and the the, the, the misalignment that exists um, within an organization and, it, and its peers. Another group is, is um, and I think you alluded to earlier, Maya, um, the UN high-level expert group on the net zero emissions commitments of non-state entities, to give it its full name, um, was a group um, that was uh, led, a high-level UN group led and, and produced a report at COP27 they had a number of recommendations and actually one of their recommendations, recommendation six, called on companies to begin to better align their lobbying and advocacy on climate policy with their net zero plans. So there's a number of groups all pulling in the same or similar uh, direction um, in order to uh, ask companies to, to better to make better disclosures uh, and to ensure the better alignment between their own stated policies on climate and, and those of third parties. Thank you very much, Chris. So I can see that where where comms comes in at the intersection of all that stuff around consistency of messaging, advocacy and alignment. But it sounds like there's lots of different things going on in terms of a framework. Is there actually just one global standard? How how do companies and their uh, corporate comms council decide which standard to follow? 
Yes, that there is actually a, a global uh, gold standard uh, which has been published um, and is supported by some of the groups that I've already mentioned, particularly the Institutional Investors Group on Climate Change. Um, so that uh, global standard on climate lobbying um, is available. It remains a voluntary standard, um, but it sort of sets out the emerging expectations for corporates and their representatives re with regards to openness and transparency around climate policy and lobbying um so that 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 really is a, is is as it says the, the 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 global standard and corporates um and their representatives can sign up to and pledge to commit to the um the the voluntary requirements set out um in that standard um but it's also worth saying there's a lot of alignment between the different groups as well so um if as an organization you have um, signed up to the Race to Zero campaign that um, that Matthew's mentioned already, actually many of the requirements um, set out in, in that um, campaign are quite well aligned with the global standard on climate lobbying. Similarly, um, although this really only applies to um, uh, listed entities, uh, because of course this is uh, the focus of investor uh, action, the Climate Action 100 Plus group and their partner Influence Map set out an, a, a framework for disclosure and framework of requirements. And you see, you again will see quite a lot of alignment and, in terms of that framework with the the global standard on climate lobbying. So it's all that they're, they're all slightly different, but they're they're all fairly consistent as well in 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 the main uh, in terms of what they require of companies in terms of their reporting. Okay, thank you, Chris. So tell me, how does this, uh, all of this impact on the communications profession? Is this just for public affairs specialists or sustainability communication specialists? Or does more of our community need to know what's going on here? I think it I think it would be great if um if if organizations from a communication standpoint take this on in a her really holistic manner so it should necessarily involve the public affairs professionals but also the communication professionals um as well um under, and, and I think just the core word, just to kind of tap in with, with what Chris was saying, is around convergence. There is so much going on, but if we can get into a collective space between different types of professional groups around actually what is leadership when it comes to climate advocacy, then 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 we're then we're at a good place. Um, we describe it in in kind of three primary ways. One is do no harm, which is by really taking time to understand what relationships corporates hold internally and externally um, and ensuring that all of those relationships are consistent and aligned with the objectives for halving emissions by 2030 and reaching that that net zero target by 2050. Uh, and then secondly, we, we want everyone to think about proactive engagement. So going, going beyond doing no harm and then thinking about how one can engage publicly, such as supporting climate policies at the subnational uh, and, the, and the international level. And I guess my, that would then include not just the public affairs um, individuals, but those kind of working in external media relations um, too. We very recently saw an incredibly powerful effort by over 400 um, businesses that are part of the We Mean Business Coalition um, that had a footprint in, in, the, in the US that called on the Biden administration to ensure a 2030 emissions reduction target that was in line with um, Paris and ensuring that that was incorporated within, within their kind of national um, contribution to the Paris Agreement. So that had a that had a massive impact. And I think, as I mentioned before earlier on, uh, we really want to make sure that 
um, corporations are also reporting back publicly and disclosing what trade affiliations that they have and ensuring that there's a governance mechanism in place to provide accountability and alignment across all policy and engagement actions. So that would then actually necessarily include board involvement too. So all, many different levels of, a, of an organisation. Yeah. Sorry, Chris, carry on. No, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say, I, I think that's a, a really good point. And having produced um, a number of these reports um, for um, clients, just to get very sort of practical for a moment, actually this, what this does involve is is collaboration across the business. And so typically the home for this within an organisation might well sit within the public affairs function it might well sit within a, a legal and a compliance function um, in some companies that i've worked with on on this style of reporting it's also been and sits within the sort of um the corporate reporting function it really depends on the organization but what i would say is um what what i've what i've found is it's actually a really useful way to um, better understand uh, risks within an organization that that uh, the the organization might not have been aware of so um in some respects you know this involves relationships across the globe for a large global organization uh, relationships that might be held by a lot of different parts of the organization so you know it might be that a trade association in a distant part of the world the relationship is held by the country leadership within that organization rather than anyone that sort of sits within a communications role or function um and so actually the risk for the the corporate in terms of there being any sort of incongruence between the 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 central policy climate policy position and the um actions of their their business in in different parts of the world is 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 quite acute and so it's a very good way to have a better understanding of the risk associated with those relationships and positions that exist around the world but it also it has to force collaboration it has to involve lots of different parts and functions of the organization typically in order to make sure that 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 the um, alignment that is reported or misalignment that is reported is is consistent with the actions of the organization so you've really got to sort of turn over a lot of stones within the organization and force that collaboration yeah i can see what the implications might be for reputation management and uh, and even crisis management if if businesses get that wrong and uh you know the the misalignment is acute and noticed externally uh shall we say is this just for the biggest corporations though so it's just relevant for comms professionals working with you know the world's very biggest uh companies or is it relevant for everybody now, Matthew? I, I think very much um, the latter. Um, and, and, and we'll see also supply chains getting affected by, by the biggest corporations. So it's really about how corporations can, can work you know, across the the kind of sectors that they're and systems that they're within. Um, I think what what you know we're finding is that it's going to be really important for them to sort of get ahead of the regulatory um, landscape. Chris mentioned high level expert groups um, report 
um, that kind of came out at COP27, which sort of is a, is a group led by the Secretary General um, and setting out kind of leadership practices for, for corporations around net zero. And he mentioned uh, recommendation six around aligning lobbying um, and, and advocacy within, within an organization. But recommendation 10 um, is around accelerating regulation. And it's basically a recommendation for regulators to ensure that corporations and other actor types within their jurisdictions are in line with net, net zero. So basically what we're having is this almost tug of war between align, corporations and non-state actors aligning their lobbying and advocacy with net zero. And then obviously the regulators ensuring at the other at the other end that they are starting to kind of impose regulation standards and policies that require those entities within their jurisdictions to get in line. So this is a real opportunity actually, now that the, the this expert group's recommendations are the gold standard, for corporations to really step out, get ahead of it, and be leaders within their field and alongside other corporations. So this isn't just a, co a conversation they can have with their employees. And I think there are so many opportunities for them to have meaningful engagements internally, but also with their peer, peer groups and work out how they can kind of navigate this, this new landscape accordingly. Thank you, Matthew. Chris, I want, I want to know from your point of view, working at at Hill Knowlton, having worked with lots and lots of different sorts of organisations, what what do you think the comms industry is currently doing right in supporting companies and clients in the uh, around climate reporting and and lobbying disclosure? What, what are we on the right track broadly, or is there still quite a lot of work to be done? I th I think there's still quite a lot of work to be done. If I'm honest, I think um, there is, and I've I've worked with many organisations already who are quite open um, to this process and and even the organizations like Matthews and Climate Action 100 Plus um, are approaching this through the lens of um, practicality. You know, if if they identify uh, misalignment, uh, if, if an organization identifies misalignment between their own policies and the policies of a representative like a trade association, then um, it's far simpler to to report that and disclose that in a report and to set out a consistent way that they will engage with those organizations in order to seek uh, um, alignment than it is to, uh, to for that misalignment to go unreported, unrecognized and and for the, the status quo to continue. And, and as I said, those groups are very, very practical when they approach this. They're not, for example, uh, looking for um, um, organizations to pull the plug and exit their trade association relationships as part of this they want a program of engagement because it is through that engagement that that real change can happen but to your point i think that change is we're still at a very sort of nascent stage there are, there are a lot of organizations who have produced reports but if i look at the list um, identified by Climate Action 100 Plus, there are still several organisations who have yet to report, and they, these are these are global businesses who have the means, have the capability to do this, and and um, are just not yet. And even so, those who have produced reports, some of them are still relatively um, uh, score relatively poorly uh, when um, marked by Influence Map and by Climate Action 100 Plus. So that. I think even that shows that organizations who've sort of taken the plunge and, and started to disclose still have a way to go in, in terms of improving that the standards of that disclosure and reporting over time. So I I think this is only going to uh, increase as a, as a 
uh, a, a part of the framework of uh, reporting and disclosures that the companies are going to have to become more accustomed to particularly as matthew says this this i suspect becomes something that is regulated for by uh, by by governments and other um uh, uh, state level uh, uh, regulators so how do yeah. we sorry matthew carry on Sorry, I was just going to um to riff off what Chris said. I, Chris was saying, and I I agree we're 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 at the sort of you know um the nascent stages of of working out what's how kind of corporations really kind of best put their their advocacy feet forward, so to speak. Um, but we are we are kind of I think um evolving in terms of um sophistication around this. Um, I I know that at the moment there is a a responsible policy engagement task force that is being um that has been established by by many of the entities that the Chris has already uh, mentioned. I think it includes um we mean business but also the science-based target targets initiative and uh an influence map and the, this kind of task force is going to be putting out a handbook in in june which hopefully will provide more guidance in terms of how corporations can collectively step forward in the realms of advocacy and describe what that means not just at a national level but also in terms of sector by sector so start kind of breaking it down in terms of what that means in in aviation or in um, land use, etc. So hopefully some of these tools are going to be more forthcoming now that a lot of the direction of travel has been set. Okay, I mean, I'm just, I'm just wondering what, what do the, what do communications prof professionals need to do to kind of really get up to speed on this? Because it's moving quite fast, isn't it? Like you said, there's various kind of frameworks, standards, tools um, coming down the line. But what actually needs to happen for the for the comms industry to educate itself? Um, and really get up to speed because there's so much of this is about communications, isn't it? And effective communications, consistent communications. So what 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 actually needs to happen? Yeah, it, it absolutely, Maya. I think though it's not that complicated. Um, in 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 positive news, the frameworks um, are emerging, and they're very clear. Actually, there's not. Um, they use some technical uh, language and I think you know it, it it's why my team who are with with specialists we do sort of specialize in this sort of work um why we've perhaps um you know uh, started to do this work before it's become more mainstream but uh, there's nothing about the frameworks necessarily that are um so technically complicated that actually you know any communicator who who goes through those frameworks couldn't actually fully understand them i think as well you know the these groups are seeking improvement rather than perfection and so um in um tackling this um and and starting to make these disclosures rather than a, 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 as soon as possible rather than waiting for um the the guidance to be absolutely perfect um you have the opportunity i think to to really get ahead of things and to avoid any any of the potential risks that we've already talked about uh, in terms of reputational harm um so i it is it is a technical discipline but i don't think it's so technical that you you can't simply look at some of the frameworks that we've talked about and and begin to understand 
what that means for your disclosure. There's also several reports that are already out there, many of them linked via the um, Influence Map website um, and scored by the Influence Map website. And you can start to see there, you know, what is the difference? What And Influence Map as well are very clear about why they have suggested that one report is better than another one or um, you know where the levels of improvement might be might be achieved so it, it's this is not a sort of hidden um, hidden landscape there's uh, plenty of materials out there to better inform yourself and, and and to understand where to get started. Matthew did you want to add anything there in terms of what um commerce professionals need to need to do and I'm just wondering specifically whether I mean this is clearly not a case of comms being bolted on the end uh, on the end of something to, to to communicate externally companies action this has got to be part and parcel of uh, of business transformation of um you know being right at the heart of what a company is actually doing and taking action on right so that there seems to me there's still a bit of a gap in terms of uh, knowledge and expertise in the communication sector around all of this stuff. However accessible all these frameworks are, what what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, just to break it down really simply, as as I said before, I think it's around two things: alignment and and, and then proactive engagement. So so firstly, um, how can you have that internal education to make sure that all employees know that. Um, external campaigns, whatever events they get involved in, um, whatever memberships that they they hold, need to be in alignment with these kind of core Paris targets that that I've that I've set out already. I think we do see more a lot of misalignment um, and uh, um, around that in terms of um, um, sponsorship of various events, for instance, and. Um, certain kind of core company policies being completely uh, not in keeping with them um, with um, you know nature protection and all the rest of it so I think that is definitely a key education piece that can go a long way towards that kind of rich understanding and alignment and then the second thing is working out as, as I say what we can do in terms of the proactive the calling on our, on our regulators on our national governments to do what, what we know is required there is a lot of kind of resource and resources and information already out there that, that Chris has mentioned if 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 kind of folk want to go up and and assess what's out there and how they can kind of be best in alignment I think just maybe to touch on a couple of um products that haven't been mentioned um I would definitely take a look at the B team's trade group misalignment toolkit um the CLG have also done um the the, the kind of um uh, Cambridge Leadership Group um, have done an advocacy toolkit for, for business and climate leaders and also the business um, 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 for sustainable responsibility have done a transform to net zero climate policy engagement transformation guide. So these are all kind of um, toolkits, resources that, that kind of companies can look at, understand and work out what they want to kind of align with and, and emulate in their own practices. Fantastic. Thanks, Matthew. And what, what's next? What's coming down the line um, in terms of climate and sustainability reporting that we should be aware of? Well, I think, I mean, I can talk very much in terms of the, the race to zero. So the, the race to zero's criteria comes out, um, it came out in, in June last year, on June the 15th. Um, members and, and partners have, have one year to basically show that they are applying and meeting that criteria. So I mentioned at the very uh, top um, that we introduced this this fifth component to our criteria, the persuade policy component. 
So that was released in, on, on June the 15th last year. So what we're, we're what we're acquiring is that by this year, June the 15th, all partners will have showed how they're going to be incorporating that, that fifth P within their frameworks. Um, our partners are, are entities like um, the Under Two Coalition, um, SBTI, um, um, Business Ambition for 1.5. So these are the coalition partners that represent many thousands of businesses. And then we have basically another year. Um, so that's June 2024 um, for members to be expected to implement um, those kind of those, those, those that kind of policy, those policy guidelines within what they're doing. Um, so they've got got another year to do that. But that's what's coming down the road. And as I say, with the Secretary General having released his recommendations, we're likely to see this getting dialed up quite quickly and corporations really starting to report back on progress, not by June 2024, but perhaps much earlier by COP28 um, this December in Dubai. Okay, thank you very much, Matthew. Um, I'm just going to ask you both as a as a final kind of takeaway from this, what, what one action... Um, if you're a communications professional, whether you're working in-house or an organisation or as agency counsel, what one thing could you do tomorrow to really um, move forward and better understand the implications for the businesses you work for and to educate yourself? It's quite simple, really. I, I think the first thing to do is to have a conversation with your colleagues or with your clients about this. Uh, like I, I think we said earlier on, the number of organizations who are producing these reports is still relatively small. I think the very fact that we're having this conversation that um, that this work and the the outputs of it, the disclosures are relatively um, uh, unknown in, in many organizations, I think, um, should mean that simply by, you know, having a conversation with some colleagues, you can hopefully get a better sense of whether this is something that you uh, have begun to think about as an organization or um, uh, if you've examined the frameworks and it's part of your disclosure plans either for this year or um, or, for, or for next I think you know you'll only you will only know by asking the questions and I think um, I think it's clear to, it's clear based on you know uh, certainly our conversations with clients many clients still don't necessarily realize that this is something that they they need to do uh, or they don't necessarily realize quite what the implications are of these uh, requests from groups groups like Matthews and so just starting with a conversation to understand that I think would be um, I hope that's not an oversimplification but I, I genuinely think you know um, it, 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 these things can go um, unseen and, and unknown if those conversations are not happening. Mm, good advice Matthew anything to add to that? Yeah, just and I think I think that's the first step, right? That internal conversation, but then it then it just naturally leads to then the second external conversation that these corporates need to be having with their peer groups, um, with kind of regulators within their various different jurisdictions, um, and then also with national governments. But so, what do those external conversations look like? Because it doesn't have to be a sort of negative. Um, unconstructive finger pointing thing it can actually be a collaborative exercise and journey that these different entities go on together um, so I think it's really interesting to work out what that, that those second conversations look like and perhaps also how um, different kind of businesses within different sectors can can kind of um, can team up together and work out how they can kind of um, um, be part of the same journey. Okay, all it's all about the conversations, isn't it? All moving very fast. I, uh, I, there's there's clearly loads to be done and loads that the 
the comm sector can get involved in here in terms of um, uh, supporting and, and counselling indeed um, clients and the organisations they work for to, to move forward all in the right direction. I'll put links to loads of the resources you've mentioned in the in the blurb for this podcast so they're accessible immediately to um, everyone who's listening. But Matthew, Chris, thank you so much for that primer and for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you.